بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وبه نستعين ونصلي ونسلم على خاتم النبيين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا كريم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وأحل لقدة من لساني يفقه قولي All praises belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We praise him and we seek his assistance and guidance and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the adverse consequences of our deeds Whomsoever Allah guides, none can misguide and whomsoever Allah misguides, none can guide and peace and salutations be upon the final messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger. My dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, my dearest elders in Islam, Salamullahi alaykum wa rahmatuhu wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon you all. From the outset, a heartfelt gratitude goes out to Explore Conference and this wonderful masjid and institution as well for uh, honoring me with um, the possibility of being present here today and sharing with you all, some from the inheritance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless our gathering and make it a gathering that hears a good word and follows it and make us a gathering that is forgiven upon our departure and make us a gathering that has only come together for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. My dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he sent to this earth many a prophet and many a messenger. And the legacy of prophethood and messengership was transferred from the shoulders of one prophet and messenger to another. As a prophet went back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and another prophet was sent. And this continued to happen. The legacy of prophethood continued to be transferred from the shoulders of one man to the shoulders of another man until the advent of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. For Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he was decreed as the final messenger. And he was decreed as the seal of all prophets. Which means he would be the last single person to carry the legacy of prophethood. The legacy of the Anbiya alayhim salatu wassalam. But we know through observation that after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the ummah continues to exist. People continue to exist. Evil continues to exist. Shaytan continues to exist. So what will happen to the people after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always sends someone to the people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always kept transferring the legacy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam from one man to another man. What happens to mankind after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam after he passes away? The answer to that question, my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, is that after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam happens to the people. The ummah 
of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam now happens to the people. For after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He didn't lift the legacy of prophethood and transfer it from the shoulders of one man to the shoulders of another man as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did from the time of Nuh alayhi salam. Rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He lifted the legacy of prophethood from the shoulders of one man, from the shoulders of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And He transferred it to the shoulders of an entire ummah, to the shoulders of the followers of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That we collectively now, carry the responsibility of the Anbiya alayhimu salatu wassalam. We collectively now are responsible for the legacy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the Anbiya alayhimu salatu wassalam and take note of the key word here, collectively. There is no one man that carries this legacy. Rather an entire ummah now carries this legacy. And that is why this ummah will be the first ummah to enter Jannah. And that is why this ummah will make up most of the inhabitants of Jannah. And that is why about this ummah, Allah said, "Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas." That you are the best of all people. You are the best of all people. You are the best of all people because you collectively carry a legacy that no nation before you carried. For with regards to those nations, Allah sent prophets and messengers. That is why you're the best of all nations. Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas. You are the best of all nations. We all know brothers and sisters in Islam, that Islam is not a religion of symbols. It's a religion of substance. It cannot be that we are the best of all people because, alhamdulillah, lucky enough, we happen to be born after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Surely it can't be that easy. That we were fortunate, and the other people were less fortunate. We just happened to be born after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So that is the privilege. You are the best of all nations. Islam is not a religion of symbols. It's a religion of substance. If we are the best of all people, and Allah declares us to be the best of all people, the King of kings, the Lord of the worlds, He subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you are the best of all people, then surely we need to sit down and ask ourselves, why? Why? If Islam is the religion of substance and not symbols, then why? And if we analyze the same ayah in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us that we are the best ummah, Allah says, why? He teaches us why. He says, you are the best because you ta'muruna bil ma'roof and you tanhawna anil munkar and you tu'minuna billah. You are the best because you have three occupations that the best of all people carried on their shoulders. The occupation of inviting towards good and forbidding evil and believing in Allah. This is why you are the best. This is why you are the best. You are the best because you carry the legacy of the best people that walk the face of this earth. And Allah teaches us this lesson using the present tense. And the present tense in the Arabic language carries a due meaning. The present tense in the Arabic language carries a due meaning. The present tense in the Arabic language carries the meaning of now and the present continuous. 
Why do we need to highlight this? We need to highlight this so we understand further and understand well exactly what Allah is saying. Allah is not saying you are the best because sometimes you invite towards good and sometimes you forbid evil and sometimes you believe in Allah. If the present tense carries the meaning of now and the present continuous, وَفِعْلُ الْمُضَارِعِ فِي اللُّغَةِ الْعَرَبِيَّةِ يَقْتَضِي الْحَالِ وَالْإِسْتِمْرَارِ You are the best because of something that you do now and continuously. Then Allah is telling us that we are the best because we always invite towards good. Always. Keyword. And we always forbid evil. Always. Keyword. And we always believe in Allah. Always. Keyword. This is why you are the best. There's no public holiday from this. There's no weekend from this. There's no bank holiday from this. There's never a time in your life where you will breathe a breath whereby your existence will be separated from these three occupations. You are defined by these three occupations. This is why you are the best. And this means, O servant of Allah, that a member of this ummah, whether a mother, whether a father, whether a child, irrespective of your presence in society, you are a person that is always doing da'wah. You are always propagating good. You are always forbidding evil. You are either doing it with your hand, because you have the power to do so, or with your tongue, because you don't have the power to do it with your hand, or with your heart, because you don't have the power to do it with your hand and your tongue. But there's never a time when this occupation is detached from your existence. May Allah forgive us. Today, we sleep, brothers and sisters in Islam, with so much vice around us, but our hearts don't twitch an inch. We sleep peacefully. That heart doesn't even do da'wah. We have acted in a way that is contradictory to the reality of the ayah which declares us as the best of all people and teaches us why we are the best of all people. We have detached ourselves from the prophetic legacy that Allah has placed on all our shoulders. This is point number one. And point number two, to take note of the key word collectively. I said earlier, Allah didn't take the legacy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa and transfer it to the shoulders of one man. I said Allah took it from the shoulders of him sallallahu alayhi wa and transferred it to the shoulders of an entire ummah. Which means we collectively, we are the building blocks of holding up this legacy. We are the building blocks of doing justice to this legacy. If one person isn't doing what they're supposed to do with regards to this legacy, everyone is going to be affected in their ability to do justice to this legacy. And we will collectively be questioned on the day of Qiyamah. And that is why the scholars say, when the young people of society do evil, and the older people of society keep quiet, then wait for the punishment of Allah to consume everyone. It's not good enough for you to say, I'm on the top tier of the ship, the bottom tier is digging the hole, I'm safe. They might sink first, but you're going to sink later. It is what it is. It's a matter of design, and it is the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when you understand this, understand the following. That when your neighbor's home has marital turbulence, don't ever sleep thinking, that's not my problem. Alhamdulillah, my home is okay. 
It's got nothing to do with it. If a Muslim family's home at the other end of the city, and London is a big city, they're having trouble with their children. Don't sleep at night saying, that's not my problem, alhamdulillah, my children are safe, they're tucked in bed. Don't deceive yourself, O servant of Allah, and O child of Adam, because we are a collective ummah, we are interdependent, we are communal by design. The problem in our neighbor's home, if it's not in our home today, if we do nothing about it, it will be in our home tomorrow. The problem at the other end of the city, if we're doing nothing about it today, it will be in our home tomorrow. It might not be your today's problem, but it will be your tomorrow's problem. Don't feel for one instant that your children won't be affected, because tomorrow your children may befriend those other children. Don't be short-sighted. Understand your responsibility to the da'wah, your responsibility to the community, your responsibility to the legacy of the Anbiya alayhimu salatu wassalam. And that is why Allah teaches us about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And Allah tells us about him by saying, لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا عَنِتُّمْ حَرِيصٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَؤُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ Allah says, indeed a messenger has come to you from you. عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا عَنِتُّمْ Your sleepless night is his sleepless night. Your worry is his worry. Your problem is his problem. Your tears are his tears. Your fears are his fears. Azizun alayhi ma'anit. Harisun alaykum. Why? Because he's so concerned about you. Why? Because after him, his legacy is going to be on your shoulders. He's teaching you how to be in practice. To the believers, he is merciful and gentle. Where are we in terms of merciful and being gentle to the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa The same people that we need so that we can be successful in carrying the weight of prophethood. The weight of the work of the Anbiya alayhi salatu was salam. Remember I said collectively we carry this. If my brother's not functioning, I'm gonna, it's going to be more harder for me. Have we ever stepped thinking about this, O servant of Allah and O child of Adam? May Allah forgive us. Forgive our past, inspire our futures. Ameen. And this is why even though Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he had the greatest responsibility of bringing people to the worship of one Allah. People who had hearts shackled in the chains of shirk. That is a big job. But even though that was happening, he was teaching the ummah how to raise their children. Even though that was happening, he was teaching them how to be diligent husbands. Even though that was happening, he was teaching them how to be diligent wives. Why was he doing this? Surely he was busy with a bigger matter. The matter of tawheed, the matter of, the be- of, of correct belief in the Lordship of Allah. Matters pertaining to correct belief in the worship of Allah, the unity in His worship. Matters pertaining to the correct belief in His names and attributes. Trying to teach His people to believe in life after death. These were big massive problems that existed. But even though, He was also teaching them about being a good wife and husband and parent. And Allah says, Allah says that in the messenger is uswatun hasana. 
لقد كان لكم في رسول الله أسوة حسنة لقد كان indeed in the messenger is a perfect example for you and perfect example is in the indefinite format and this indefinite format exists in the positive context bit of a technicality but I'll explain what I'm saying because we need to understand how deep the Quran is the scholars of usul al-fiqh of jurisprudence methodology they say al-nakira fi siyaq al-ithbat to feed al-umum they say an indefinite article in a context that is positive entails a meaning that is comprehensive and inclusive. What does this mean? This means when we read the ayah and Allah teaches us that indeed in your messenger is the perfect example, Allah is not saying the perfect example in just how you pray and how you fast and how you observe the hajj, no. Allah is saying the perfect example in every matter of your life. He's the perfect example if you want to know how to be a wife, if you want to know how to be a husband, if you want to know how to be a parent, if you want to know how to be a teacher, if you want to know how to be an employer, if you want to know how to be an employee, if you want to know how to be a member of a community or a society, in Him is the perfect example. And that is why after La ilaha illallah comes Muhammadur Rasulullah. That when you say there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah, then Allah is telling you, if you accept that, then Allah wants you to worship Him how He wants to be worshipped, not how you want to worship Him. Allah wants you to worship Him how He wants to be worshipped. And that happens based on the way of Muhammadur Rasulullah. So you say La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. Allah wants you to be a father, how He wants you to be a father, not how you want to be a father. Allah wants you to be a husband, how He wants you to be a husband, not how you want to be a husband. Allah wants you to be a wife, how He wants you to be a wife, not how you want to be a wife, not how society wants you to be a wife, not how your culture wants you to be a wife. It's submission to the will of one Allah, and His will is made manifest to us through Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa this is why we say, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. That's the first question has to be, Ya Allah, how do you want me to be a husband? How do you want me to be a wife? How do you want me to be a parent? How do you want me to be a citizen of the community that I'm in? How do you want me to be? And that answer is in the life of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, Kullukum ra'in wa kullukum mas'ulun an Each and every one of you is a shepherd. And each and every one of you is responsible for his flock. Responsible means Allah will ask you about how you managed your flock on the day of Qiyamah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, O you who believe, Qu anfusakum wa ahlikum nara. Save yourself and your families from the fire. And your families from the fire. You are the shepherd of your families. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأْمُرْ أَهْلَكَ بِالصَّلَاءِ وَاسْتَبِرْ عَلَيْهَا لَا نَسْأَلُكَ رِزْقًا نَحْنُ نَرْزُقُكَ وَالْأَقِبَةُ لِلتَّقْوَىٰ Allah says, command your family, وَأْمُرْ أَهْلَكَ Command your families to the, uh, to the prayer. وَاسْتَبِرْ عَلَيْهَا And don't give up until it's established in your families. Allah doesn't say be patient in telling them. He says don't give up until it's established. If talking doesn't work, change your strategy. But don't die except that your families are upon the salah. 
La nas'aluka rizqan. We don't ask you for food and money. Nahnu narzuquk. We are the providers of sustenance. Wal aqibatu taqwa and the good ending is for the people of taqwa. Pertinent ayah especially in this day and age. In this day and age when we tell the parents, are you raising your children? They say yes. We are. Very relative answer. We can't stop there. We need to ask, what do you mean by yes? What is your definition of raising the children? They say no, we send them to school. We send them to the masjid. We introduce them to the imam. We send them to the madrasa. They have a Quran teacher. So we're raising our children. Say, okay. But what about you? What do you do with them? Ah, I'm busy. You busy? What are you busy with? I have to put food on the table. Uh Aha. I have to pay the bills. Okay. I'm busy with life. So that we can provide sustenance. Taib, who's teaching your child about salah? And about establishing salah in their lives? The teacher at the madrasa. The imam at the masjid. That's why I donate to the masjid. That's why I pay the madrasa fees. Oh, so you outsource parenting. No, I don't. We don't outsource parenting. Why are you saying that, Sheikh? That's what it means. Whenever you pay someone to do something for you, you outsource it. You outsource marketing. You outsource catering. You outsource human resources. Right? You outsource publishing. You outsource IT. You're paying someone to do it. You're not doing it in-house. It's cheaper to get someone else to do it. Right? So that's what you're doing. You're taking the easy way out. It's called outsourcing. I'm sorry my dear brother and sister in Islam. You can't outsource parenting. The madrasa, the masjid, the imam of the masjid, the teacher at the madrasa, the school, they are only there to complement your role as a parent. Not to play the role of mother and father for you. Understand this and understand it well. You will never ever outsource parenting. It can never happen. Because wallahi, wa billahi, wa tallahi, there is no one on the face of this earth that is more desperate for your child to enter Jannah more than you. No matter how sincere they are. The Imam is sincere. He wants your child to enter Jannah, but not more than you. The Madrasa teacher is sincere. They want the success of your children, but not more than you. They have their own children. They have their own problems. And by the way, when your child is with them, there's probably another 10, 20 or 30 kids with them as well. You have a family of three or four and you have no time for them. What do you want the imam to do? What do you want the teacher at the madrasa to do? What do you want the school teacher to do? They only spend a few hours in the day with your child. The best years of your child was in your home. If you're not doing it, no one is going to do it. Today, subhanallah, we find parents up in arms. The child has reached their teens and they're going out of hand. They're getting out of hand. Why? Because adulthood, identity crisis, they're growing. Females, it's hormones development. Males, it's identity development. The egos are growing, independence of thought. Desires are coming in. Different things are happening to them. But they never ever knew you as their teacher when they were growing up. You outsourced them to other people. And those other people were too busy to do your entire job for you. So the empty spaces in their minds... Who filled it for them? The television? Who filled it for them? The friends at school? Who filled it for them? The neighbor down the road? What do you want to do? They have other teachers for the last 10 years. Now you're up in arms because you finally realized that things are not going to plan and you start pointing the finger. The Imam, 
the madrasa, the school, the society, the city, the neighbor. Why are you pointing fingers, my dear brother and sister in Islam? Whenever you point fingers, there's three fingers pointing back at you. The problem starts with you. Your child never had some form of GPS installed in them where they should learn from. Wallahu akhrajakum min butuni ummahatikum la ta'alamuna shay'a. Allah extracted them from the wombs of their mothers without them knowing anything. And Allah placed them in your care. Your child was innocent. He, all he wanted, all she wanted was your care. They were an amana given to you. It's as if when your child was born and you held them for the first time, and those innocent eyes with the twinkle looked into your eyes and you felt all this fuzzy feeling, at that time, there was a message that was transferred from baby to parent. That my dear mother and father, I didn't have a choice who will be my parents. But Allah has put me in your care. All I ask from you is to do right by me. That's all they asked for. The Prophet says, كُلُّ مَوْلُودٍ يُولَدْ عَلَى فِطْرَتِهِ وَأَبَوَاهُ يُهَوِّدَانِ وَيُنَصِّرَانِ وَيُمَجِّسَانِ that all children are born upon a natural disposition, a disposition of guidance and belief in one Allah. But it's their parents that shift them here or there, make them Christians or Jews or fire worshippers or whatever they become. It's the environment that affects them. So when you point a finger, there's three fingers pointing back at you. We're talking about effective homes, beneficial homes, equal beneficial societies. I don't want you to understand this topic void of my introduction. What was the introduction? That we are the best ummah, why? Because we collectively carry the legacy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. My dearest brother and sister in Islam, can you understand the harm you're doing to the ummah if you're not an effective husband? Can you understand the harm you're doing to the legacy of nubuwah if you're not an effective wife? Can you understand the knife that you're piercing into the da'wah if you're not an effective parent, you need to really see the bigger picture here. That if you're not doing your role as a mother, and a father, and a, and, a, and a husband, and a wife, then your home is a corrupt home. And that home is going to create a corrupt society. And when that society is corrupt, what's going to happen to the, to the people who are supposed to carry the da'wah? There'll be no da'wah. And when there's no da'wah, what's going to happen? Vice is going to spread. Allah tells us about the people of before. The people of the book, Allah says they are cursed upon the tongue of Dawood and Isa the son of Maryam. Why? They never did the da'wah. They never invited towards good. They never forbidden evil. And then they became a people that did the evil. What an evil, evil, wretched action they did. Are we those people? May Allah protect us. May Allah protect us. My dearest mother and father, let's start with the mother and father, before my dearest husband and wife. My dearest mother and father, one of the best ways to help this da'wah is to raise your kids yourself. And one of the best ways to raise your kids yourself is to talk to them. Make time to talk to them. Every day. Like we say, Never ever sleep without reciting the Qur'an. Never ever sleep without having that, that beautiful sitting with your child. Never ever. Make sure they see you as their first teacher. Don't underestimate the power of teaching. 
And why should you be the first teacher? Because wallahi, let me teach you something. I can teach your child about salah. But the barakah that exists in you teaching them about salah is far greater than when I teach them about it. I can teach your child about being good and having good manners. But the barakah, the blessings that exist in the lesson when you teach it, is found nowhere except when you do that. This is from Allah. This is from Allah. You must understand this. That there's a certain barakah, there's a certain gift that Allah has put in the dissemination of lessons between parent and child that doesn't exist when a teacher teaches that child that lesson. And if you want evidence of this, I refer you to the Qur'an. Because every story in the Qur'an when Allah tells us about a prophet and his child, Allah always mentions the concept of them talking to each other. Allah tells us about Luqman, the wise man. And his son, what does Allah say? وَإِذْ قَالَ لُقْمَانِ لِبْنِي وَهُوَ يَعِذُهُ يَا بُنَيْ لَا تُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ إِنَّ شِرْكَ لَظُلْمٌ عَظِيمٌ When the wise man Luqman had a dialogue with his son, when he taught his son, when he educated his son, and he said to his son, My dear son, don't associate partners with Allah. Indeed, associating partners with Allah is a great oppression. Surah Yusuf, a whole surah dedicated to the story of one prophet, beginning to end. How does Allah begin the story? Wallahi, have you ever thought about this? How does Allah begin? It's a whole story. You expect stories to begin in a certain way. How does Allah begin the story? إِذْ قَالَ يُوسُفُ لِأَبِيهِ يَا أَبَتِي إِذْ قَالَ When Yusuf said to his father. That's the beginning of the story. What's the follow-up to that beginning? قَالَ يَا بُنَيَّ When Yaqub said to his son, they're having a discussion. It's as if Allah is teaching us about parenting without teaching us about parenting. This is the power of the Qur'an. You have to ponder over what's happening. And look at the context of your life. I mean, which child today just goes to anybody and tells them about a dream that they had? They only go to that person and tell them about a dream which they had when they're comfortable with that person. When there's a rapport that already exists between them. That's how children are. So when Allah says, Yusuf It's as if Allah is saying the story of Yusuf is a story of a beautiful relationship about a father and a son. And the father played with the son, spoke to the son, and vice versa. They ate together, they, they ran together, they played together, they were so close with each other. So the day came when Yusuf saw this dream, and he said, you know what? I need to go tell my father about it. Put everything in context. And when Yusuf had this dilemma of this dream, he's seeing a star, he's seeing a moon, he's seeing 11 stars bowing down to him. Why is this strange for a young boy? Young children have imaginations, right? Don't they have imaginations? How many of us have children here? MashaAllah. How many of us have come across a child that has an imaginary friend? They have imaginary friends. You see them playing with somebody. See, who are you playing with? I'm playing with my friend. And they even give them names. My son, he had, and imagine he had two. 
two imaginary friends. One was a good one, and one was a naughty one. Whenever something naughty used to happen, he used to say, it's, it's, he had, and he named them. One was Amun, one was Beke. So he would say, this Beke's fault, very naughty. Made me do this. Now you as a parent, you know, you think, subhanallah, look at the world of the child. The brain is going to have imagination. Yeah, and it's, it's, it is imagination. Some parents, they start punishing the child. See, but it's only two, three, it's lying. Lying is haram. Punish the child. They say, brother, relax. Put your stick away. Calm down. Don't hyperventilate. Breathe. He's not lying, it's his imagination. You've got to read about the child's mind. Right? So our children have imaginations. How come Yusuf, at the age of four or five or six, he has a problem with what he has seen in his dream? Have you ever asked yourself why? You know why? Because his father used to teach him about worshipping one Allah and prostrating to one Allah. It can only be, right? That this is the relationship that they had. His first teacher was his father. So now he has a confusion. So who should I go to? My father. Today there's a confusion. I need to go to the guidance teacher at school. There's a confusion. I need to speak to that person up the road. There's a confusion. I need to speak to my friends when I meet them in the afternoon. Say, what about your father? Oh, my father's too busy. He's never ever taught me anything. I don't think he knows the answer to this. Yes. Yes. Take it from someone who's been tested. I call it a test. It's a test from Allah on me. That I have to sit with some of your children. Well, not your children per se, but you understand what I'm saying. Children of the community. They say, I don't think my father knows. Because not once did he ever teach me anything. So the fact that Yusuf has a problem, if we use our brain, we understand that subhanallah, Yaqub must have told Yusuf about the worship of one Allah when Yusuf was two or three or four. Because we know that Yusuf was stolen from his home when he was four or five or six. As the scholars of tafsir estimate. So at that age he knew about worshipping one Allah. So he had a problem. Now he had a problem, he knew who to go to for the answer. Because he knew who his teacher was, my father. He goes to his father. He tells his father about the dream. Now look how beautiful the relationship is between Yaqub and Yusuf. Today we don't have time. Yaqub, look at the time that he has for his child. Yaqub is busy, he's a prophet of Allah. He has to teach about Allah and the oneness of Allah and stop worshipping idols. You think you're busy. <laughs> Imagine how busy he was. You think you have issues, community issues. Imagine what community issues he had. And how many children did he have? <laughs> he's got Yusuf, he's got Bin Yamin, he's got another ten. Eee, mashallah, two, three kids, right? Hey, you think you have issues? He had bigger issues. But he tells his son, قَالَ يَا بُنَيَّ لَا تَقْصُصْ رُؤْيَاكَ عَلَىٰ إِخْوَتِكَ فَيَكِيدُوا لَكَ كَيْدًا إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ لِلْإِنسَانِ عَدُوٌ مُّبِينٌ He says, my dear son, don't relay this dream to your brothers, because they will harm you. And my dear son, never ever forget my other lesson which I taught you. Indeed, shaitan to man is a clear enemy. You might be scratching your head and thinking, man, Yaqub was brave. Today, we don't tell our children about shaitan. We worry, they'll have sleepless nights. They're too young. Don't teach them about shaitan. They'll grow up and learn. Don't teach them about Allah. We're too busy now. We have time. Let them get older. Huh? They must get older, then we'll teach them. Tomorrow never comes, my dear mother and father. Learn from Yaqub. Today, you write to me and ask me, how do we protect our kids? We can't mother them all the time. We send them to school. They're out of our house. They're out of our eye. What do we do? Learn from Yaqub. Teach them what they need to learn. Don't disrespect their mind. 
Respect their mind. Teach them what they need to know. That knowledge will be their security. The scholars of psychology and instruction, they say the most perfect education that you can offer someone is when you tell them to do something or not to do it, and then you explain why. And if it's confusing for them, you, ex- you give them further guidance. Three elements to correct speech. Al-amru wa ta'alilu wa tawjih in the Arabic language. The command, the explanation of the command, and then guidance. They call these the three pillars of correct instruction. We find this in the speech of Yaqub alayhi salam. Oh my son, don't release this dream to your brothers. This is a command. Why? Because they might plot against you, they will harm you. He explains himself. And today you and I will say, no, 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 he's too young. You, how can you tell him his brothers are going to harm him? Huh? Yaqub is teaching him life. This is life. If I don't teach you, no one is going to teach you. Listen to me, my dear son. But Yaqub knows that previously, I used to tell my son that never ever break the bond of unity between you and your brothers. Brothers are brothers. You are united by blood. You are united by faith. Always be united. Always forgive each other. That's what I used to teach him. And now today I'm telling him, your brothers might harm you. So Yaqub has to add guidance to his explanation and teach his son that my dear son, if they harm you, never forget that other lesson I taught you, that shaitan is a clear enemy to man. There's a reason why I'm explaining this in detail, because (laughs) there's a reality to this. So Yusuf at the age of four or five, he listens to his father teaching him about shaitan. Let's fast forward four and a half decades further. Yusuf is 50 something years old. Yusuf is 50 something years old. He was taken out of his home as a young boy. Today you take a kid out of his home, four or five. Right? And if I tell you, take a five year old, put him in a house where they worship idols, where they don't have manners, where they practice adultery, What do you think this child will become at the age of 40? What will you tell me? Will this child be a Muslim? You'll say no. I can put money on it. You'll say that. Teens, he's 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, growing up in a house of shirk. You become a mushrik. You become the environment that you're in. Yusuf gets to the age of 40. He's living in a home which is messed up. Forgive the colloquial English, but you understand what I'm saying. And the woman locks him in a room, shuts all the doors, shuts all the windows. No one has access, no in, no out, total privacy. He's never heard about Allah since he was four years old, or five years old, or six years old. He is a man, he has desires. Not only is he a man in his 20s, a man in his 40s. Can you imagine how much desires he has? He's never been married. He's a slave, she's the master. He's an expat, she's a citizen. She owns the guards, he can be thrown into prison. She has compounded strength, he has compounded weakness. Don't forget the weakness of his desires. Now, the biggest weakness comes. She said, come to me, come to me. 
Now what would a, you and I, in this day and age, with this circumstance, with our desires, with everything, what would we say? Say subhanallah. Oh, I don't know if we say subhanallah. But what would we say? We'd be thinking, this is easy man. Normally you got to buy the dinner, you got to send the roses, you have to, you know, there's a lot you have to do before. Here nothing, she's saying, come to me. So easy. But what does he say? What is the words that comes to his tongue at that moment? Allah. I seek refuge in Allah. Allah protect me. La ilaha illallah. Where did this 40 man, 40 year old man hear the word Allah? Where did he hear that Allah is a protector? Where did he hear that this is wrong in the shaitan? Where did he learn this from? We didn't teach him. We brought this boy up. Who's taught him this? Ah, remember earlier I said, don't underestimate the barakah of a father and mother teaching a child. There's barakah, wallahi, there's blessings in it that you can't imagine. When you do it, Allah blesses that lesson, that it guides the child. It might be good if the madrasa teacher does it, but it's not as good when you do it. Who taught him? His father. Ma'adhallah. And earlier I said, that Ya'aqub taught him about shaitan. When did Ya'aqub teach him about Allah? At that moment. Because after Ya'aqub tells Yusuf, shaitan is a big enemy, beware. Ya'aqub says, وَكَذَلِكَ يَجْتَبِيكَ رَبُّكَ وَيُعَلِّمُكَ مِن تَأْوِيلِ الْأَحَادِيثِ وَيُتِمُّ نِعْمَتَهُ عَلَيْكَ وَعَلَىٰ آلِ يَعْقُوبَ كَمَا أَتَمَّهَا كَمَا أَتَمَّهَا عَلَىٰ أَبَوَيْكَ مِن قَبَلُ إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْحَاقَ إِنَّ رَبَّكَ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ He tells his son, after teaching his son about shaitan, he says, my dear son, before I lose you, Things are going to happen to you. I can't imagine what's going to happen to you. But before you lose the ability of your father to teach you, let me teach you from the university of life. Whatever happens to you, this is Allah completing His favor upon you. Like Allah completed His favor upon Ishaq and Ibrahim, your grandfathers. What is, what is Yaqub doing to his son? Today we hear identity crisis in the ummah. The Muslims in the UK, they're having identity crisis. Am I Muslim, British, British, Muslim, identity crisis. Yaqub is teaching him who he is. My son, you're a son of a prophet, who was a son of a prophet, who was a son of a prophet. This is who you are. Allah is completing His favor upon you. Before I lose you, let me tell you, this is who you are. Never forget who you are. Before I lose you, this is who you are. And... Whatever happens to you in life, always remember that the Allah that I always taught you about, He is your Rabb, and He is Alim, and He is Hakim. What does Rabb mean? He is your ultimate protector. No one can harm you when you have Him. What does Alim mean? No matter what happens to you, He knows where you are. He knows your situation. Whatever happens to you, He's Hakim. He's wise as to why it's happening to you. You might not understand, but don't lose faith in Him. Don't lose hope in Him. There's a plan that he knows that you don't know. When you look at the situation, you just have a pixel. But you can't tell the whole picture from just a pixel. But Allah has the whole picture. And very soon the other pixels will come into your life and you'll understand, subhanallah, what Allah was doing. He teaches his son this. Four or five lessons that you and I today will say, no, children are too little, don't, don't, don't teach them. Keep, them, keep them uninformed. Protect them. 
Don't tell them about shaitan. Why? To protect them. Yaqub is saying, teach them about shaitan and teach them about Allah. And not just the concept, the reality, to protect them. So, when Yusuf is taken into the jungle at the age of six, tomorrow your child will go to the jungle called the school at the age of six. You send them protected. So Yusuf salam is locked up with her. And she says, come to me. He remembers, my father told me, that when the doors are locked, and the windows are locked, and no one can see you, inna rabbaka alibun hakim. You Allah, He's your protector, He will protect you. And by the way, He's al-alim, He knows where you are. And he's Hakim, he knows why you're there. So that's easy for him to say, Ma'adallah. His whole life he was growing up with this reality. <laughs> when he's thrown into the prison, he tells the inmates, <laughs> He grew up in a house of shirk, but he's telling the inmates, Is worshipping one God better or worshipping many gods? Is worshipping many gods better or worshipping one god? And you know me, I'm upon the way of my forefathers, my grandparents. Who? Ibrahim and Ishaq and Yaqub, my father. I'm a prophet, the son of a prophet, the son of a prophet, the son of the prophet. Where did he learn that lesson? Before he was taken from the home. When his father taught him that whatever happens to you, Allah is completing his favor upon you. Have you ever understood Surah Yusuf like this? It is, the, it is the parenting module from the Qur'an. It is the evidence of how to be an effective parent from the Qur'an. You might just think, okay, this is what happened. Oh, that's interesting. That is tied together. Why is he saying, I am upon the way of my forefathers? Why? He's telling them, I don't have an identity crisis, even though I've spent four and a half decades around people who worship idols. But I still know who I am, and I know where I'm from. Okay, what's the next question? Where did you learn Yusuf, where are you from? I learned in my father's home. But how old were you when you used to live with him? I was four or five. But my father, he taught me from the university of life. He taught me these lessons. And Allah blessed those lessons, it stuck with me. At the end of the story, when he's 50 something years old, when Allah gathers them together, Allah brings the family together, unity happens. Yusuf missed his mother, he missed his father, he missed his brothers. And now they together. Yusuf says, وَقَدْ أَحْسَنَ بِي Allah was good to me. When? إِذْ أَخْرَجَنِي مِنَ السِّجْنِ When Allah removed me from the prison. Subhanallah. Why is Yusuf saying when Allah removed me from the prison? Why doesn't Yusuf say Allah was good to me when Allah took me out of the well? Which was harder in his life? Which event? Being thrown into the prison as a six-year-old? or being thrown into prison by his choice when he's 40 plus. Which is harder for a human being? What do you think brothers and sisters in Islam? Being thrown into the well. So why doesn't he say to his father, mother, brothers, Allah was good to me when Allah took me out of the well? Why? Because my brothers are here. These are my brothers. I always forgave them because when I was a boy, my father taught me that shaitan is a clear enemy. It was shaitan who messed around with us. And today you and I, what do we do? We say, no, 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 mention the well. They must know what they did. I forgive them, but we don't forget. They must know. We mustn't get away with it. They must remember what they did to me. Alright? Look at Yusuf. Perfect forgiveness. Who taught him how to perfectly forgive his family? 
His father when? When he was six. When he was five. When he was four. That he's choosing his words appropriately. Allah was good to me when Allah took me out of the prison. Let me not say anything about the world because that my brothers did that to me. And then he goes on to say, مِن بَعْدِ أَن نَزَغَ الشَّيْطَانِ بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَ إِخْوَتِي After shaitan caused enmity between me and my brothers. By Allah, I ask you, who taught Yusuf that if something happens between him and his brothers, then shaitan had a big hand in it. Who taught him this? His father, at the end, when they're 50 some, he's 50 something years old, he's telling his father, that my father, you taught me about shaitan. Allah was good to me when Allah brought you out of the desert and Allah took me out of prison after shaitan caused enmity between me and my brothers. Allah, I don't know what more I can say to make you appreciate how powerful it is for you to speak to your children and teach your children and respect their minds and don't think they're too small. If you don't know about Allah, go learn about Allah. That's your duty. Why? Because you have to teach your child about Allah. Why? Because he has to carry the legacy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam also. Like you have to carry it. We collectively carry it. If I don't raise my child well, then how will I be successful in carrying the da'wah? The legacy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam now is not on the shoulders of one man. It's on the shoulders of the entire ummah. My child is from the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I have to teach him. May Allah grant us the understanding. Ameen. I hope we're understanding this. The micro and the macro. We always talk about seeing the pixel in light of the bigger picture. We're never too busy for the important things in life, my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam. Forget this word, I'm too busy. Brother, do you speak to your child? Wallahi, I'm busy. You're not too busy. I have a translation for the word busy. You have Google Translate, right? Let me give you Sajid Translate. Sajid Umar Translate. When you tell me I'm too busy, you're saying, you're not important to me. That's what you're saying. Because brother and sister in Islam, when you are busy, you still have time to eat. Not so? You still wear your clothes before you leave the house. Not so? They ironed, right? Not so? You pay the bills. Not so? When you're busy, you're still doing things. So you have time for the important things. If you can't talk to your child that day, you're saying talking to my child is not important. Basically, let's call a spade a spade and not a big spoon. This is an African saying, huh? Say, call the shovel, call it a spade, a shovel. Don't say it's a big spoon. No, it's a shovel. Stop making excuses. And today, this is we, we allow ourselves to sleep at night, even though we're not being effective parents. How? By making excuses and lying to ourselves. This is called cognitive dissonance. The people of psychology, they call this cognitive dissonance. The people of emotional intelligence, there's books on this. Right? Read, knowledge is power. Iqra. <laughs> They call this cognitive dissonance. What is cognitive dissonance? When you cheat yourselves by making excuses that appease you for your inaction. There's an example about the fox who's hungry and he sees the red apple on the tree which looks juicy. But the fox can't climb the tree. So he jumps and he jumps and he jumps. He's trying to get the apple and he can't get it. So at the end, he walks off shaking his head and saying, ah, that apple doesn't taste nice anyway. He's lying to himself so he can be happy that I didn't get it, it's no I didn't miss out on anything. That's cognitive dissonance. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us, forgive us, inspire our futures. 
Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. So this is uh, a point related to the importance of being brilliant parents in light of the bigger picture of looking after the legacy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. What time is Adhan in this masjid? Right now. Right now? So let us listen to Adhan very quickly and then after the Adhan I will just share with you uh, one more point and then we will commence with the Isha Salah with your permission. Jazakallahu khairan. Okay, just before we commence um, with Salatul Isha, we spoke about a beneficial home equals a beneficial society from the aspect of good parenting. Another very important matter that needs to be considered is the proactive relationship between husbands and wives. Because the greater the relationship between husbands and wives, then the greater the ability to raise the children. And this is a big topic, no doubt. But one point I want to share, my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, is the importance of us developing our marriages so that we coexist upon the paradigm of responsibility and not the paradigm of rights. There's two R's in our life. The R of rights and the R of responsibility. The books of fiqh, they teach us about the rights of the husband and they teach us about the rights of the wife. But they also nurture us to live with each other upon the paradigm of responsibility. That it shouldn't be about my right and your right, it should be about what's best for the bigger picture. This is being responsible. And this is what we mean when we say, a marriage is not about my way or the highway, but it's about give and take. And to emphasize this point, think about the best marriage that this world had. The marriage of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to Khadija radiallahu anha. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam married her, who had the house? Khadija. Who had the money? Khadija radiallahu anha. Was it her right that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam put a roof over her head? Perhaps, but nowhere do we find in the books of history ever Khadija radiallahu anha demanding that home. Rather, she happily accepted that they live in her home. Radiallahu anha. This is responsibility. This is responsibility. What do you think this gesture does to the love of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for her? to the love of a husband for his wife. What do you think this does? Unlike what we see today. Today the email comes. Nowadays the emails are books. Sheikh, I got married. Say Alhamdulillah. Sheikh, he doesn't have a house. We're living in my house. My father gifted me a house. It's my house. Okay, mashallah. Allah bless you sister. Sheikh, is it allowed for me to charge my husband rent? Rent? Yes, rent. Why? Because it's my right that he gives me a home. But he doesn't, he's living in my home. If I was living in his home, I would rent this house, I would get money. 
So I think I should charge him rent. Is that allowed in Islam, Sheikh? Rights versus responsibility. What do you think this will do to the heart of your husband if you go and tell him, I asked Sheikh Sajid Umar, if I'm allowed to charge you rent, and he says it's allowed. So here's the invoice, please. <laughs> Pay rent monthly, huh? What do you think this is going to do to his heart? Where's responsibility, dear sister in Islam? Okay. This is with regards to Khadija. Khadija radiallahu anha, she had a child when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam married her, as some of the uh, historians say. The child's name was Hind. Did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam have to be with Hind like how a father is to his real child? No. But he was responsible. He raised Hind as if it was his own child. What do you think this does to the heart of Khadija radiallahu anha? For her husband. He didn't have to, but he went far and beyond. He was responsible. Today, husband might get married. He has a child from the previous marriage. That child wants to come, live with his or her father. So you go to your wife, you say, you know, he wants to come live with us. She wants to come live with us. Young girl, young boy. One month, then maybe we'll renew the contract for three months. Then maybe it might be lifetime, but we're not talking about that now. What do you think, my new wife? One month, child can come live with us. But uh, what about our relationship, our privacy? You know, honeymoon period, I want to hold your hand in the supermarket, but then the child is there, she'll see, maybe I'll have... Thinking negative. Thinking about my right, not thinking about responsibility. So Khadija puts a roof over the head of the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam raises Khadija's child like his own. All this is responsibility. Then, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he wants to be responsible to his relatives. This is part of the family structure and being diligent to the da'wah. He says, Abu Talib raised me. And he has many children and he's not well to do. Now that we well to do, I want to take one of his sons, Ali, and raise him in this home. I want to take my cousin and bring him to this home. Do you see in the books of history, Khadija saying, La hawla wa la but it's not fair, but you know this is our home. Now this person is a stranger, he's going to come. No. She happily agrees. And she raises Ali like as if Ali is her own. Responsible. The Prophet ﷺ is responsible to his uncle. Today, you tell someone, Hey brother, you know that uncle of yours, when you were young, he, he paid your school fees or he did something for you. You know, why don't you reciprocate? Do something. You say, Hey Habibi, brother, I didn't ask him to pay my school fees. From the kindness of his heart, Allah will reward him. There's no obligation upon me. There's no obligation upon you. But be responsible. Responsibility. This is the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa We're responsible people. It's important that the relationship between husband and wife is built upon the paradigm of responsibility. And this is true mawadda and rahmah. Love and mercy. Allah says from His signs, is that He created the husband and the husband's wife, and Allah placed between them mawadda and rahmah. Love and mercy. And some people say, no, 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 Shaykh. No, no, no. Love is in the first five years of marriage. Six years, seven years. Then the love finishes, so then there's mercy. We live with each other, we have to be merciful. No. 
love and mercy is responsibility or servant of Allah and O child of Adam. This is mawadda and rahmah. So it's important that we live with each other upon this way. And if we do so, we'll close many of the doors that shaitan uses to pollute our marriages. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Ameen. Before I end, one thing from Surah Yusuf. At the beginning of Surah Yusuf, Yusuf saw a dream of a sun and a moon and 11 stars. At the end of the story, how is that dream interpreted? The sun, according to one tafsir, the sun, S-U-N, represented the father. The, the mother represented the moon. And the stars represented the, the brothers, the children. Let us analyze this a little bit. In the life that we live in, when the sun is out, people feel safe. When the sun is out, earning takes place. When the sun is out, the rain falls, the plants grow, things happen. What about the father in the home? When the father is around, the family feels safe. When the father is around, earning happens, sustenance is there. Like when the son is out, similar. When the father is around, things happen, the bills are paid, the school fees is paid, transport takes place, there's an issue, the solution comes out. There's a relationship between the father and the son in the sky. When the sun is out, the stars are out. But do you see the stars? Not so many, not, not so. But you, you see the stars with the moon. Because by default, the mother in the home is pivotal to establishing a pivotal society. The children are with the mother. The stars are with the moon. Let's look at the mother or the moon. When the moon is out, the stars are out. When the sun is bright, the moon is bright. And the brighter the moon, the brighter the stars. When the father is a good father in the home, the mother now is a good mother in the home. When the mother is a good mother in the home, the children are the best children of that society. Look at the relationship. This Quran is the word of Allah. Wallahi, there's, there's messages. Ponder. Okay. Let's take it further. What happens when the sun wants to be the moon and the moon wants to be the sun? In real life, what do we have on that day? People say at this time, on this day, what's going to happen? An eclipse. And when an eclipse happens, the moon is weak, the sun is weak, and the stars are nowhere to be seen. What happens when the mother wants to be the father and the father wants to be the mother? You have a social eclipse. A social eclipse. And when a social eclipse happens, the father is not effective, the mother is not effective, and the children suffer the most. I leave you with this to ponder over. My dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, I love you all for the sake of Allah. Everything correct said is from Allah and He is perfect and any mistakes are from myself and shaitan and I seek Allah's forgiveness. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve us in His obedience, correct the affairs of our homes and make us people that are diligent to the legacy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the anbiya alayhimu salatu wa salam starting with us being diligent husbands and wives and parents. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. May Allah gather us again together in this masjid as He has gathered us here today to learn further from the inheritance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Everything correct said is from Allah and He's perfect and any mistakes are from myself and shaitan and I seek His forgiveness. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.